You know what, guys? I was dropping by the video studio on the way here, and I was like, what is that gorgeous set design? They were filming something for .usn. And I just thought today, thankfully, we're doing podcast, not video, because this hair. <laughs> Welcome back to Mastering Retail, a podcast brought to you by Digital Commerce at Essential. You've made it to our last episode of this season, but not the last episode of this series because we have seasons on Walmart and Instacart too that you should check out. For this episode, we will be talking about retail data and research. We'll create our own funnel of information for this episode, dissecting how to understand the research that is out there for the entire e-commerce industry, the research that's out there specifically on Amazon, and how to use market data to understand your own brand's position in the landscape. My guest today is another one of the brightest minds we have here at Essential, and her name is... Xian Wang, VP of Retail Insight at Edge by Essential. So I look after the retail insight business that primarily looks at forecasting out what's going to happen in the future. So what retailers, what markets, uh, what banners, what channels are going to do and how they're going to perform in sort of three to five years time. I look after the team, the research team that puts together all of our uh, proprietary research reports, the data team, the way in which we forecast all of these retailers and markets, and also the way in which we deliver to our clients. So the platform that we have and our client services team, the way that we interact with that information for our brand clients. It's what I do. Now that we've introed our guests, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Emma Irwin, your host for this season. By now, if you've listened all the way through, you've heard me intro myself probably more than you ever needed to. But as a final reminder here, I entered the e-commerce industry about a year ago as a retail specialist at Flywheel Digital and made my way to hosting this podcast too. Back to what you came here for. Let's hear more about Sian got to where she is today. Yeah, so I think it's been an interesting journey. It's definitely been an emergent strategy rather than a determined, determinant strategy. I actually started my career in investment banking, in oil and gas specifically, when the oil price was um, flying through the roof, much as it is right now. And I went from there into private equity and then into investment research. And when I was in investment research at a startup, now established firm called Third Bridge, I actually covered a lot of the retailers and brands that we work with right now. So kind of looking at sales into Walmart, Target, a really interesting products. Like we were looking at Uggs, Crocs, Pandora, and a lot of the stocks that were at the time, maybe, you know, question whether they were just trend-led, short opportunities, or whether they were viable long-term investments for our clients, which were mostly hedge funds and private equity. And during that time, I think it really captured my imagination and certainly captured my interest in the sector in respect of CPGs, brands, and the retail sector as a whole. Because for me, it was a perfect intersection of technology, of innovation as well, and of big data, which is very exciting. So I started talking to what was um, Planet Retail RNG at the time, looking at some of the content development because I was working for only hedge funds and private equity and Planet was working at the time mostly for brands. We and thought we, you know, we just struck up a conversation and one day I woke up and I'd come over to Essential because <laughs> it was a great and exciting opportunity. And look where we are now. Sian mentioned that she leads the Retail Insights team at Edge, which is a team at Edge by Essential that conducts proprietary research from vast sources of data that helps manufacturers monitor the markets and capture new growth opportunities in a subscription format. We have got some great relationships. I'm really proud to say we've got some great relationships with brands that go back 10 plus years. Actually, it was a funny story. I once had a meeting with a client and he said, oh, 
we were talking about, hey, how can we best deliver this information for you and your organization? Would you like to see it? Would you like to hear it? And he goes, I remember when you used to fax me reports. <laughs> and I said, most of the time we email them now, but if you would like facts and that's how you would best receive it, we can figure that one out too. That's amazing. I can say, I don't think I've ever faxed anything and pretty sure I can say that with confidence, but <laughs> amazing. Absolutely. But however you want to hear it, you know, however you yeah. want to see the information, we'll get it to you because it's not just about the data. It's also about how it's delivered in the best way that people can take it on. As you know, before we could really kick things off, I had to ask our recurring questions. What is the last thing you purchased from Amazon? Ooh, so <laughs> technically, technically the last thing I purchased was actually from Amazon Fresh, the Just Ooh. Walkout stores in London. So they've sprung up all over London, you know, generate a QR code on your app, you pop in, you take stuff, you feel like you're stealing things. <laughs> actually, you're not. You overspend because you're not having to rack, uh, sort of um, look at how much spend you're having on the checkout. They send you the invoice about 30 minutes later. So technically, it was some groceries, some nuts <laughs> specifically, and, um, you know, just lunch and things like that on my way into the office today. And if you were to ask me what's the last thing I technically brought online on Amazon specifically, it was actually some sunscreen because it's getting to that time of year. Always smart, wearing your smart. sunscreen, kids. <laughs> Got to protect the skin. And then I have one more question for you. I'm going to ask it now, but we'll circle back to it at the end of the podcast. So don't need an answer or anything right here, but putting it on your brain. And so something that's just been on a digital wish list of yours, i.e. it lives just in like a cart on a tab in your app that you never actually purchase. And when we come back to it, I'll ask why as well. But putting that on your brain, if that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds good. I can tell you what it is already now, by the way. I have way. <laughs> nope, nope. All right. Okay, no, 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 no. <laughs> We've got no spoilers. No spoilers. No spoilers. With that covered, let's get into the meat of this episode. We're going to start by thinking about the entire e-commerce industry as a whole. So I asked Sion about what kind of data and research is out there and why it's important. Obviously, playing with um, the data that we have in Retail Insights absolutely key, we think, to figure out what the broader context. So if you go to just look at Amazon specifically, which we will do, and I'm looking forward to that when we have our conversation later today, you need to understand the role it has and how it fits into the wider ecosystem or the worlds that we live in generally. And so with that in mind, it's always important to start with the top down, so to speak, we think. So first of all, what markets, what channels, what retailers and what product categories, uh, how are they growing? What are the opportunities there before drilling down into, okay, so who do I partner with specifically? Because if you look at performance of a retailer, let's say in one country, the retailer might be outgrowing the rate of e-commerce or retail growth in that country and so outperforming, or it might just be growing because GDP growth in that country has been exponential. And you want to know exactly why and how to understand what the opportunity is and how much you should invest into it. So context, it's, um, I think when you use the word ecosystem, when you think about its sort of biology origins, it's really not just true within a retailer platform itself, but a more encompassing view of the world because everything is interconnected. You know, you can't understand retailer or channel performance without also having some understanding of the macroeconomic performance of a country and what are the drivers of change that might be affecting, you know, the economy, the society in that country, as well as the economics and the industry that we work in in that country, all interlinked, basically. So, yeah, I think that's that's what we do really well. Uh, and we look at sort of the markets and channels and uh, forecast out their performance in five years time. And it's with stuff like this that really helps, I guess, set the scene, right? 
So how would you understand or know that digital commerce is going to account for, you know, 39, 40% of total retail in sort of next five years time? How would you understand that over half of the growth in overall retail sales is going to come from digital commerce? How would you compare digital commerce to the rate of store-based retail sales growth? We see that digital commerce is growing at three times the rate of store-based retail. How would you understand the size of the price so that you can build your investment cases working back from there? It's only when you know that $2.4 trillion of additional retail sales will occur online in the next four or five years that you can work back from there. And you could say, okay, if that is the total size of the price, how much of that am I going to capture as a brand? And how am I going to do this? Prior to this recording, I had asked Sion to send me three common mistakes that manufacturers and or brands make when it comes to understanding data and research in the retail industry. And the first mistake that she gave me, which she has already alluded to, is not staying on top of fast emerging opportunities or channels and underestimating how quickly things can change or accelerate. Let's listen to Sion continue to talk about this point and how to avoid it. What I've seen a lot of change happen in the last sort of four, five to 10 years is that I think people used to think that strategy and go-to-market planning could be a one-and-done thing. You know, you set your strategy for a year or three years. But as you know, from the last couple of years, especially with COVID, the speed at which you need to be agile and, and re- constantly reevaluate your go-to-market and constantly reevaluate the markets and platforms you're working with has just accelerated quite significantly. If you just set a strategy plan for, for one year and don't revisit it again multiple times during the year, chances are things will have completely changed and you'll have missed out a fantastic opportunity. So we obviously want to avoid missing opportunities that come out the gate pretty quickly, but I wanted to know more about how. As for how to do it, well, that's one of the things we're really focused on, actually, in terms of our research and our data. We expect digital commerce to disaggregate into more and more subchannels and go the same way that store-based retail has over the last 50 to 100 years. So if you think about store-based retail, you've got your hypermarkets, you've got your supermarkets, you've got your club, you've got your convenience, and then you have e-commerce previously thought of as a single channel. Not so much anymore, because even that is then disaggregating into pure play, into omni-channel, into uh, D2C, into social commerce, and EB2B. And then, even if the landscape is going to be dominated by those pure play and omni-channel guys like Amazon and Walmart, when you double-click into that, you got to understand 1P versus 3P growth. And where we're seeing a lot of the growth come from, those biggest players, is the marketplaces. So let's say you really are on top of these fast emerging opportunities and channels and say you like actually put a bunch of investment into it. What if those kind of fast emerging trends is not exactly the word I'm looking for, but I'm going to use it for the context of the question. What if those like go bust, like something like the metaverse? What if you invest all of this money into experimentation in the metaverse? And then let's say a year down the road, the metaverse really isn't a thing anymore. Yeah, look, it's risk reward. I don't expect in the first instance that you put hundreds of millions of dollars, but test and learn. Whether you take budget from somewhere else or are willing to make a case for it, test and learn. Start small first uh, or maybe look at best practices across what other brands are already doing or maybe a little bit more advanced than you in the metaverse, for example, or perhaps not in your category at all. Again, going back to that, learn from other categories who aren't necessarily your immediate competitors um, and see how you go. Because that way, you'll know, you you get a head start across your very own competitors as to what's working, how it might work and not. And don't be afraid to fail fast because the amounts that we're talking about here are not going to be something that caused major issues in profitability for your company. 
Whereas if you don't do that, you might miss out quite significantly in terms of the opportunity by being, you know, five, 10 years behind. As we've learned, Retail Insight by Edge is continuously forecasting the future of our industry. I asked Sion if Retail Insight's clients are usually willing to actually act on what they see in these forecasts and if they're able to internalize this information. And we'll also get a hint on Sion's second listed common mistake. Ah, it's such an interesting question. I think a bit of both, right? When we're working with leadership, GMs, VPs, C-suite, part of the job and the role is to look out three to five years and really steer the ship as industry captains and pave the way for change and be change evangelists within their organization. So yes, people can and do act on our forecasts, absolutely, because you want to understand, like I said earlier, what the size of the prize is. Internalizing is the other big challenge, though. If C-level leadership team can understand it, it's about how do you bring the rest of the organization on with you? Because what we see the challenges for a lot of brands is that digital should be everybody's responsibility. Digital commerce expertise and excellence. I think there's still a big divide of those who are like, ah, the e-commerce team will deal with it versus the store-based team. But as we see the intersection of online to offline really come together, there's going to be no differentiation anymore. And even those teams who thought that they were looking at um, only store-based retail will have to understand the impact of digital commerce and online retail back onto the store. And we can go into so many reasons why tangible, obvious reasons would be the evolution of click and collect and repurposing of store space to dark stores to fulfill online orders, for example, and what implications that has for assortment choices by retailers on the physical shelf but so many other things as well. It's really fascinating the interplay between online and offline. And we see them coming together more and more, not only from the fulfillment side, like we just said, but um, I love these two examples from Walmart, Walmart Connect, which you'll be familiar with. They've actually installed digital screens, like 170,000 digital screens in across 80% of the Walmart store estate. So that is very much the juxtaposition of online to offline. And then most recently, this is an example which I absolutely love, Walmart has installed digital screens as end caps that utilize product information directly from the product PDP. So we're already moving to a world where retailers are going to expect brands to have ready-to-go digital shelf content in order to get product listings and launch product both in-store and online. So yeah, just watch that one. I was in Arkansas two weeks ago and I made the White Spider team take me to this Walmart store of the future. And they have like those digital end caps on almost every single aisle. And it's just like incredible. It's a totally different experience than the standard like run of a mill suburban New York Walmart Walmart that we have out here. But yeah, and a lot of those assets are the same kind of that you see online and in store. And it's like, wow, this is such a cool, cohesive experience we've got going on. Right? Scan your QR code for more information. There's your hero image right there. I mean, it looks great also, and it does provide a lot more information. And then you as a shopper can already see the ratings and reviews there when you're doing your research. Should I buy? Should I not buy? So think about conversion in that way. It's really interesting. Sion's second common mistake to avoid when it comes to understanding retail data and research is underestimating the impact that online sales can have on store-based sales. We had talked about a Walmart example, which led me to ask more specifically about Amazon in regards to this mistake, because hey, this is an Amazon podcast. Hey, since you already know you're on the last episode of our Amazon season, I wanted to let you know that we also have an entire season on Walmart and Instacart too that you should listen to. Hey, 
I was in the middle of something here. Okay, okay, okay. But make sure to tell them at the end, too. I will. I will. Back to business. How do you navigate kind of measuring this impact between online sales and store-based sales when you're starting out with like a product that you find on Amazon.com that is not going to be sold in a fresh store to kind of tie us back to Amazon? Yeah, I think you're asking about online to offline attribution there. I think that's a challenge that a lot of people are facing. And to be honest, off the record or on the record, honestly, we don't have an answer to that. It's really, really difficult to measure that kind of ROI investment. I think that's a piece of research that we can and should be working on still. Seen the question a lot come through. Don't think we, don't think we have a full answer, but I think uh, the answer could very much start with data and at least making sure that you have the right measurement online as you do offline to begin with, just so you can start to benchmark and measure yourself versus, versus kind of competitors before getting into the, okay, so this was the impact that my online business has had on store-based retail or vice versa, that full attribution circle. But we're getting there. I think we're getting there because what players and platforms like Amazon and Alibaba are trying to do is trying to get a 360-degree view of the shopper, right? So how, well, think about a just walkout store. The potential for data there to understand the path to purchase in stores has only previously been the remit of online. Online, you can kind of really understand the path to purchase for a shopper. You can see where they're clicking, you know, whether you're on first page or not. You can see the ads to carts. You can see the conversion. You couldn't see this in physical retail before, except just walkout technology does allow you a bit of that. So maybe there'll be a place where actually where the transaction takes place doesn't even matter. If you think about the um, integration of online to offline, if there was a situation where, say, just walkout stores had also electronic shelf edge labeling that reflected the price of what the products were being sold at online, given that Amazon is algorithm-based commerce and is a price follower and prices dynamically to market, and then you would have a 360 degree of if the shopper chose to buy there and then for immediate consumption and convenience, or if, the sh if they chose to buy online, and then does it actually really matter anymore? Okay, so we've covered Sion's first two mistakes, which again were one, not staying on top of fast emerging channels and opportunities, and two, underestimating the impact of online sales on store-based sales. Sion's third common mistake that can be made when it comes to understanding and acting on retail data and research is not going into enough detail on individual platforms at both a strategic and tactical level. You have to understand the broader strategy of platforms like Amazon, along with getting the basics right. So let's say you're a manufacturer who has narrowed down which markets and channels to be in, and Amazon is your focus. Sion will help us understand Amazon's positioning a little bit more. I think, you know, if we follow the go-to-market waterfall and we pick what markets we want to be in, etc., we pick the retailer partner of choice, we've been talking about Amazon quite a bit today. So let me maybe kick off by putting Amazon as I want to do in, in a bit of context, right? So Amazon is obviously a key marketplace growing fastest, actually, of the five global retailers that we predict to be top retailers in, in 2027, even faster than Alibaba, actually, to make an international comparison there. We expect that by 2027, Amazon will become market leader in its top three markets. So that would be US, Germany, and UK. So it'll knock Walmart off the top spot. It'll knock Tesco off the top spot, for example. And Amazon is also a majority third-party platform. So 3P represents 62% of total e-commerce sales in 2022, and it continues to dominate Amazon's retail sales. We expect that it's going to represent 61% of total e-commerce sales in 2022. 
and grow faster than one P-cell, most importantly, between now and 2027. I asked Sion for any specific watchouts here, and she'll again call out the importance of understanding the different platforms out there. If we're talking Amazon specifically, brands who maybe don't understand third-party sellers and the role that they have to play and how third-party sellers could potentially be a commercial opportunity, but understanding what value proposition the 3P, the 3P operators have versus your own is an interesting, I would say it's interesting, it's more like a watch out for brands, really. Awareness and understanding of how much of their sales they might be losing uh, to third-party sellers, or maybe the opportunity of working with legitimate and authorized third-party sellers being an actual commercial opportunity. But I think what we're seeing or not seeing enough of is to understand the role of 3P in your category, who are the top players and why, and having visibility about them. So this is this is interesting for me because I think if you're just operating in a fairly siloed way and looking only at your own sales, you really wouldn't understand why. And then potentially the other thing uh, on a well, not so much category basis necessarily is, is profitability. So we believe that the best way to win in digital commerce is to have a strategic and tactical understanding of individual platforms. So if you can look at Amazon's view of how profitable you are as a brand, then you'll understand what you bring to them or not and what you might have to fix. And this, this, will, help you, this will help you in your joint business planning and your negotiations and things like that. We heard Sion mention that brands need to have both a strategic and tactical level of understanding on the different platforms out there. And missing this mark, again, is that third common mistake that Sion gave me when it comes to understanding the data and research out there and how to use it to win on Amazon. You need to understand both the overall strategy and goals of Amazon and figure out how to fit into those. And you need to master the basics of the platform, which is a good thing that you're listening to this podcast. I mean, one size doesn't fit all. KPIs for every marketplace on those different aspects we were talking about. So ratings and reviews, for example, or content compliance vary significantly from an Amazon versus an Alibaba. So just double check. On your category, it may be sufficient to get 100 reviews and a four and a half star rating. But then you might check on JD and Alibaba and realize that actually there you require 100,000 reviews because that's the average of what your category has. So just be aware. And then I think also with some of the um, omni-channel players who are moving from store-based retail to online, they have different requirements or different capabilities in terms of their content, in terms of their um, media services. And it will all vary by platform. So whether you have 140 characters for your title, whether you have how many bullets, like how many, you know, how many images can you put on there, even a loud video, et cetera. All platforms will have different um, capabilities. So it's a slightly different game for every single platform. And you need to go down to that level of detail because these are the levers that you can pull to help with your traffic and conversion online. And what you do on Amazon may not apply at all to what you could do on Ocado or Tesco. Completely different model. First party versus third party, for example. Phew. Okay, we've made it through Sion's most common mistakes that can be made when we're talking about understanding retail research. But, woo, we have received a lot of information. So how about a small dog break, aka a break where we talk about lovely dogs. This Amazon series we have, we interviewed primarily Flywheel people. So therefore, Flywheel, you're allowed to have your dogs in the office. And like, that's a big part of Flywheel culture. But I have to ask everyone about dogs. Do you have a dog? I did. Well, I did have a dog growing up, actually, a couple of dogs in Malaysia. We had a Rottweiler and a rescue dog. And I would like a dog now. And I'm very supportive of everyone who gets dogs. I think they bring a lot of joy and happiness. 
And um, I think I would like a, maybe like a really friendly, not too large, King Charles Spaniel, something like that. Very regal. Those are good dogs. They are usually quite neutral, just like good dogs. Easy going, happy. Don't take up too much space. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. And Sion even thinks that the dogs at Flywheel's office should have their own title. I think the dogs should collectively be known as chief happiness officers because I think they bring and spread happiness. Okay, enough with the dog talk. Let's get back on track. I had a few more questions for her before we began to wrap up. Say you have a client that has someone that works specifically on Amazon and their job is to be responsible for Amazon. Is there value in kind of paying attention to what the other retailers are doing outside of Amazon? Can that really impact the decisions they're making on Amazon? Yeah, I think absolutely. You know, we see a lot of cross-pollination of ideas and initiatives from different regions. We used to see this in sort of physical store tours as well, when we would take brands and their retailer partners around Europe to bring back some ideas to the US. And we're certainly seeing this, especially from Asia. China is obviously going to leapfrog any kind of store-based retail development, typical retail development curves, and go straight into online as it has already. So they're digital native, and the proliferation of super apps there, such as WeChat, the way in which social commerce is, is done, the um, it features and initiatives are being rolled out by those platforms, such as you know Singles Day, whatever have you. They are coming back to other platforms. So people are people are stealing ideas from each other in respect of the retail platforms, uh, and we see this manifest itself. Although it hasn't quite taken off yet in the U.S. or in Europe, but around things like Amazon Live, for example, whereas live streaming and uh, that kind of thing has already been very established, like over in China and things like that. So it's definitely worthwhile keeping an eye on what other retail platforms are doing. And the other thing is international expansion. We're seeing the Asian platforms expand into Europe. They're doing it multiple ways, sometimes through payments first and then building out their commerce platforms. But as growth is maybe plateauing or slowing after really tough comps in COVID and the markets or share, uh, share markets are sort of reevaluating and you know maybe slapping management on the wrist a little bit, they are looking for white space opportunities. And many of these opportunities will be international. So you better watch out because they could be competitors of the future as well. The last thing I wanted to ask Sion about had to do with understanding your brand's market share on Amazon. While we're not a promotional podcast out here, I wanted Sion to tell me about Edge's market share tool because a tool like this one is critical for being able to understand the sales data in your competitive landscape as a brand or a manufacturer and how you can act on that information. So Edge market share helps brands measure their own and competitors' digital performance, including sales, share, traffic, sentiment, and pricing on Amazon. So I think in a nutshell, that is what we do. It's about benchmarking data and information. It's about having that data visibility to steer the ship. One, how do you steer the ship with that data? And then why is it important? Yeah, I think in, um, in terms of steering that ship. So we have a formula for success online, which is something that the Edge Market Share supports, actually. So number one is being consumer-centric, so understanding engagement with you, shopper engagement with you, as well as your category competitors. Second is to be agile. So prioritize your threats, potential threats to performance, target your most critical areas first, and potentially also identify new areas for investment, such as adjacent categories. So it's not always, you know, the scary threat-oriented stuff, but it's about being proactive and identifying opportunities in, in categories where they may be underpenetrated or underserved by competitors. The third thing is about being visible. 
So knowing and understanding how shoppers are searching for and finding your products. So dig into how and where you're driving traffic and where you'll find future sort of performance optimization opportunities. Um, and last but not least, I arguably you should really start with this. It seems quite basic, but very challenging in today's environment is it's about being available. So keep ahead of out of stocks and product availability as well, which is certainly a harder task that you can imagine, especially given the environment we've come out of, especially with logistics and shipping issues all over the world as well and getting products out and disruption, a lot of disruption in the supply chain. And now with all of that information, we can finish up this episode with our digital wishlist question. We're going to come back to our digital wishlist question. That one thing that you just won't actually purchase, it just lives infinitely in a cart somewhere online, and why? So I have a lot of books. Amazon, obviously, you'll never forget. I have a lot of books I added to cart. And I kinda, it kind of sits there as a digital bookshelf or digital coffee table for me. And I probably won't ever buy the physical books I've added on there. I might add them to Kindle because it's just too convenient. I don't want to own assets and take up a lot of room in my London apartment. Uh, and also the other issue is that I can't read them fast enough. I add to cart way more than I can actually read and consume because there is so much information out there already. And this is probably one of the reasons I'll never hit buy on many of the books in my wish list. That makes sense. That actually, that is a good reasoning for not actually purchasing the books. But you have them there just so that you like, it's a nice list of what you want to read. It's aspirational. It is absolutely aspirational. Maybe I just need the Cliff Notes version. Or we should have a book club. We should have a book club and we'll all collectively read different books and then feed it back to each other. Yeah. <laughs> That's my kind of book club. <laughs> With that covered, this wraps up our Amazon season of Mastering Metail. Now, I know you learned a few episodes back that no one can ever truly master Metail, but you can sure try. And I hope that this podcast has left you with more knowledge than what you came in with and has inspired you to always be curious and willing to learn. E-commerce is an industry that never sleeps and it takes a special type of person to thrive, but it's exciting, always innovating, and essential digital commerce is truly your source of the best knowledge, research, and execution that's out there. So come work with us. It has been an honor to have been your host for this season, and you can follow me along on LinkedIn, or you can reach me at emma.irwin at essential.com. While I may be the one talking for this whole series, we can't forget our producer for this season, Klaus Cancel, and our sound designer, Enos Satenji, who bring this whole thing together. Psst, hey, I'm back. Aren't you forgetting something? Ah. Are you interested in learning how to win on Walmart or Instacart? Well, check out our other seasons of Mastering Meatail. See you next time.